Here's a good Bible trivia question for you. Um, who is the only person in the Gospels, so in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who's the only person in the Gospels to tell Jesus thank you for something Jesus did? Yeah, there's only one. Um, we obviously don't have every recorded word that happened in Jesus' ministry, but the only person to say thank you that we read in the Gospels is someone said the, there's a leper in Luke 17. And what's remarkable about him, not just that he's the only one to say thank you of all the amazing things that Jesus did, the only one that we read of anyway, he's only one of 10 guys that were healed at the same time. And that story there were a group of 10 lepers, which means once you're diagnosed with leprosy, you cannot live in society. You have to live outside of town. You can't see your family. You can't see your kids uh, up close. And uh, Jesus met this group. They asked for healing. He tells them to go see the priests. And before they get there, their leprosy is just gone. What an incredible day. And then one of them goes back and finds Jesus to thank him. And Jesus says, weren't the others healed? Where are the other nine? And we can read that story, and it's pretty easy to go, man, what a bunch of jerks those other nine must have been. Man. But I think that's a really good look at just human nature. I'm not sure many of us, including me, would have been much different. I bet 90% is about the right ratio. Because remember, when, when God asks questions in the Bible, always pay attention. Where are the other nine? Where do you suppose they were? What had they been praying for for years, probably, and years? What had they been missing? What did they want? If I hadn't seen my wife or kids, if I hadn't touched my wife or kids in years and suddenly I was clean, I might not have passed go and collected my, was it $200? I should look up my jokes before they just come out. Right? You know where they were? They were where they had been praying they could be. Still should have went and said thank you. But it's a really good look at human nature because I think the easiest thing in the world for a Christian, for someone who kind of believes in God, is to have some things we want that we know God can do and we really want the things God can do more than we want the God that can do them. It's the easiest thing in the world to live our lives with our eyes on things we want. And we believe in God. We know he can do whatever. And so we try to kind of use God to get what we want. We pray for those things. When we get what we want, we're happy. When we don't get what we want, we're unhappy. There's a different way to live. Do you know that? There is a way to live 
where our joy isn't tied to our circumstances. Paul's been teaching us about it in the book of Philippians. Paul's become an example of it in the book of Philippians. Because where we pick up here, Paul's writing this letter from imprisonment in Rome. He doesn't know, but they might execute him. And what we just read, um, it was our sermon last week, is that Paul said, my imprisonment has actually increased my joy. What? How? Even though that's not where he would prefer to be, he, he said last week, I have more joy now than before I got arrested. Because Paul says, my joy is set on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And last week's sermon was all about, or passage, was all about ways that Paul's imprisonment has increased the gospel. And so Paul says, since my joy is set on the things of Christ and the gospel, since my imprisonment increased the gospel, so it increased my joy, even though I would prefer to be free than imprisoned. Today, Paul's going to continue in that line of thought. He's going to get personal today, um, how this works out for him and his current situation. And Paul's going to say, I am confident. So I, I have rejoiced because of what God has done out there with the gospel because of my imprisonment. And now today, Paul's going to say, and I'm going to continue to rejoice because of what's happening right in here with me. Even though they might kill me, I'll still rejoice. Let's read our passage today. It's kind of an unfortunate verse break. I think the second part of verse 18 starts this new paragraph, so that's why I'm starting part at the end of verse 18. So Philippians 1, the end of verse 18 through verse 26, and they read this way. Paul says, So I have rejoiced, Yes, and I will rejoice. Why? For or because I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful, fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that's very much better Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. There's our passage. We start by Paul just saying, yes, I am going to continue to rejoice. I'm confident I've rejoiced because 
God is using what's happening to me in here in this house arrest prison to increase the gospel out there. But Paul says, I'm going to continue to rejoice, not just in what happens out there, but I'm going to rejoice in what happens in here. And Paul is he's confident that's going to continue. The rest of the passage is just how that's possible. Wouldn't you want to ask, like Paul, how can you rejoice in what's going on in, in there with you? That's what he's going to tell us today. We start here. In verse 19, Paul says, in the purple up here, this is like my general uh, paraphrase of this. This is what I like. This is my translation, the DMV. If you're new here, you don't know what the DMV is. That's the dumb Maxwell version of the Holy Scriptures. Okay, the DMV would say something like this. I am confident I will continue to rejoice because I'm confident I'm going to be saved from my biggest fear and I'm going to be saved to my greatest hope. That's what Paul's going to be telling us in verses 19 and 20. I have, Paul has this great big fear and this great big hope. And he says, I'm going to continue to rejoice because I know, I'm, I'm confident I'm going to avoid my biggest fear and I'm going to gain my biggest hope. He uses the word deliverance. He doesn't tell us in verse 19 what he's going to be delivered from, but it's not the most natural thing we would think if we were talking about a guy who might get executed. Paul doesn't say, this is going to turn out with me getting let out of prison. He doesn't know that. He's going to make very clear he doesn't know that. So Paul has a greater fear than his execution. And he has no fear of hell, so that's not his fear. He has a greater fear than execution. He has something he wants to avoid more than he wants to avoid the gallows or the stake or however they would have done that. And Paul has a hope that's greater than the, 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 the surviving physically. And it's not heaven. Not exactly. Paul says, I'm confident. He's already said, I'm confident I'm going to rejoice. And he invites them or thanks them for continuing to be a part of, of his deliverance. He says, I'm going to be delivered through first your prayers, Philippians. Thank you for praying toward my real hope and against my big fear. And I've got your prayers and I've got the Spirit of Jesus Christ on my side, in my body. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is a great title for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit exists to make much of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does not exist to draw attention to himself. The Holy Spirit exists to make, make much of Jesus Christ. And Paul exists for that same thing. So Paul says, I got the Holy Spirit. I got you guys praying for me. And so I'm very confident. I'm going to continue to rejoice because I'm going to get my greatest hope. And I'm going to avoid my greatest fear. Do you want to know what those two things are? Have I set that up enough? Because that's what he's going to tell us next. Here's Paul's great hope and big fear. This is verse 20. He writes, My confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed 
But instead, with complete boldness, even now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. Right there is Paul's big fear and big hope. He's confident. He's going to not have his fear and have his hope. That's why he's confident he's going to keep rejoicing. What are these things? First, Paul says, my big hope is that I will avoid my big fear. Here's Paul's big fear right here, is that I will be ashamed. I I, want to be not that, but that. And the not that is this shame. Now, what is it that would shame Paul, that would make Paul feel ashamed? It can't be his execution because... Whether, they, whether I live or die, whether they kill me or not, they can pull me out in the streets, uh, they can strip me naked, they can beat me in front of the whole world, and they can execute me, and I can still have my great hope. If we know Paul, what, what, what would make Paul feel ashamed is not his public execution. What would make Paul feel ashamed is if he refused to exalt Jesus Christ in order to avoid his execution. Shrinking away from his great hope, is what would make Paul feel ashamed. That's what Paul is saying. My confident hope is that I'll avoid chickening out to glorify, to exalt Jesus Christ. I don't want to be ashamed by pretending even my very life is more important to me than exalting Jesus Christ with complete boldness, even now as always, here's his hope. Christ will be exalted in my body. There's Paul's hope. That Christ will be exalted in my body. The Greek word right here for exalted, uh, megaluno is the Greek word, and it just means to make something bigger. Like if you uh, blow up a balloon, you megaluno. It gets bigger. Now, literally... That's not what Paul wants to do with Christ. Paul can't make Jesus bigger than Jesus already is. So to exalt Christ, we can call this to magnify Christ in some translations. That means to make something look bigger, right? To exalt Christ, to magnify Christ, is to make sure other people see the far surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want people to see that there's nothing more important to me than Jesus Christ, not even my own life. Here's my hope, Paul says, and I'm, and I'm going to do this. I'm confident because you're praying for me, Philippians, and I've got the Holy Spirit who wants to magnify and, and exalt Jesus Christ inside of me. And so my big hope is that with complete boldness, I'm not going to use my current circumstances as an excuse as to why I can't exalt Christ. Why I can't obey Christ. Why I can't follow Christ. Oh, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through right now. Paul's like, they might kill me. I don't care. If they kill me, I want to exalt Christ while they kill me. Complete boldness even now as always, whether I'm out there planting churches and things are awesome or whether they're giving me my last meal if they did that sort of thing. That Christ 
will be exalted in my body, live or die. Paul's biggest fear is that he would fail there. Paul's greatest hope is that he would succeed there. That he would always behave as if the most important thing in my life is Jesus Christ and his glory. Now, how does someone get to the point where that's his biggest fear and that's his greatest hope? I mean, that's where we ought to be aiming. But how many of us, if we're honest, can say my greatest fear is that I would act at some point, somebody would be around me and think, Jesus is not the most important thing in his life. How many of us can honestly say that the thing I hope for the most is that other people would see Christ glorified in me and by me? How does someone get to the point where he can honestly say, the greatest goal I have in life is to exalt Jesus Christ? The biggest fear I have is that it is a failure to do that. You know how? Paul's about to tell us. Paul says, because for me to live is Christ. You know what would make this true about a person? You know, the only way that would make your, your greatest hope exalting Jesus Christ and your biggest fear failing, failing to do that, the only way that's true is if your, your life is so wrapped up in Jesus Christ that to live is Christ. For Paul, Paul could honestly say, my hope, I'm so Christ-focused and Christ-centered that Christ is my life. Glorifying Christ is my life. Like Paul didn't have a bucket list. I guess he did. He just, there was just one thing on it. Like Paul didn't have this list of things he wanted to see before he died, the things he wanted to accomplish. One thing, I want Christ to be glorified in my life. Now, when I make the list of things I have to do in my life, Paul had to work. Paul had to make tents. Paul had to travel. Paul had to do stuff. But all that stuff was controlled by this. I want Christ to be glorified in my life because Christ is life. For me to live is Christ. That's why his greatest fear is that I would act, I would be doing something foreign to what my real life is. That I would make it look like there's something more important than Christ. For Paul, that's what, that's what makes the second part of this true. And to die is gain. We're going to see that for Paul in the rest of the passage. Like death is not to be feared. Like getting there might be a problem, but death itself, being dead, it is nothing that scares Paul. He may not want to die at the end of a Roman sword, but death is not um, a fear for Paul. It's gain for Paul. And here's why. We go back here. What's Paul's greatest hope? 
What's he want to do with his life? He wants to exalt. He wants to magnify Jesus Christ. He wants others to see how awesome Jesus Christ is. Now, when will Paul finally do that perfectly? When will Paul permanently, constantly, always, without ever messing it up, magnify and glorify Jesus Christ with everything he says and does after he dies? That's why I say Paul's greatest hope isn't heaven. Exactly. Paul's greatest hope is that he exalts Jesus Christ. Now, when he dies and the Lord rips the sin nature out of Paul and perfects Paul and makes Paul like Jesus, that's when Paul will get his hope, his biggest hope, perfectly. Because he will spend the rest of all eternity glorifying and exalting and magnifying Jesus Christ without ever messing up. And Paul did mess up. I think this is what Paul messed up when Paul called himself the chief of all sinners. I think it's because Paul could say, I know what my real life is and every time I pretend something is more important than Jesus Christ, I just feel like such a failure. For Paul, heaven is not just when the pain of this world goes away. It's when I will exalt Christ Perfectly. So Paul's gotten to the point where for him Christ is life. And they're exalting Jesus Christ is what he wants more than anything else. And when he dies, he'll do that perfectly. So that's where Paul's at. That's Paul. Now, there's some personal ramifications for Paul. He's gotten to the point where for him to live as Christ and to die as gain... The result of that is my greatest hope is that I exalt Jesus Christ in my life, in my body, whether I live, whether I die. I'll do that perfectly after I die. And so now Paul's going to get really personal. And we ta- his philosophy of life has been introduced in verses 20 and 21. And Paul says, so here's how that bears its, itself out in this little situation I'm in in prison. Here's the personal ramifications of Paul's uh, motivation for life. Here's how, here's how this works out in this thing. There's some kind of confusing things in here, so again, I'll DMV this for you. I'll paraphrase it. Here's what Paul says. Because Christ is life, to die is gain. What I want to do is exalt Christ in my life, and I know I'll do that perfectly after I'm dead. Paul says, here's what that means for my daily life right now where I'm at. Option one, let's say they don't kill me. Let's say I get let out of here. Here's how my philosophy of of life that I just explained will direct me after that. That will mean productive work for me. If they let me out of here, I'm not going to be like the leper who just, oh, I'm free. I'm out of prison. Now I can go do what I have always wanted to do. No. What I want to do is exalt Jesus Christ. So if they let me out of prison, I'm going back to work exactly what got me thrown in prison in the first place. Because for me to live is Christ. If they let me out of here, right back to productive work for the gospel. That's option one. 
Option two, Paul says, they also could kill me. <laughs> like, that's a real possibility. And Paul says the least controversial thing probably in the whole Bible. He says, all right, so I feel torn between the two, living and dying, because I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Do you believe, if you're a Christian, do you believe your life will get better after you die? Like, I hope you believe that. I, I know it's very natural to have a fear of death and you're not sure. Paul had none of that. Paul said, man, let's say they kill me. Well, hallelujah for me. Paul said, I have a desire to depart and be with Jesus. That's gain. But I want to zero in on something else Paul says here. So Paul, 100%, he knows Jesus Christ as his Savior. He, he believes, I, I'm okay with God because of what Jesus did for me at the cross. Therefore, I've been guaranteed eternal life by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going. I'm in. That's great. And that gives me this desire to be there with him because I know it's way better than life here. But Paul refuses to spend the rest of his days bemoaning the fact that he's still here. He says, I, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. It's better by far. It'd be to my advantage that I go be with him but it's to your advantage, Philippians, and people like you that I stay here and work. So, here's, the, here's his conclusion. I don't know what's going to happen. If it was my choice, I don't know which I would choose. That's what Paul says. But it's not my choice. So I think, here's how I would paraphrase 25. I think God's going to leave me here so I can keep working. That's what I think. And if he does, I will remain and continue. I want to zero in on that clause right there. I will remain and continue. If they kill me, hallelujah, I go to be with Jesus. If they don't kill me, I will remain and continue. Continue what? Continue glorifying Jesus Christ with all the days that I have. Here's why I want to... Here's why I want to point, point that out to you, fam. There's a really sort of easy and sneaky Christian mistake, Christian-sounding mistake, where we are so convinced of our eternal life. And you should be. And we're so convinced that our eternity with Christ is going to be so much better than life here. And the government run by Him, and all the tears dried, and no more pain, and no more sorrow... But it's really easy to just decide I'm going to sit and quit and ask God every day why he hasn't come for me yet. Paul says, not me. If I remain, I will continue. And I will continue as long as I remain. Because, and, and that's true for Paul because Paul's purpose for living is not improving his circumstances. Paul doesn't see heaven as, I'll finally get to heaven and God will dry my tears 
from my eyes, and I won't have any more pain, and I won't have any more sorrow, and I'll get to live in my house that he built for me. No. You know your eternal life will be more about Jesus Christ than it is about you. My life today is supposed to be more about Jesus Christ than it is about me. I mess that up constantly. But Paul said, my eternity is going to be about Christ, glorifying Christ. I want my life to be about glorifying Christ, not about improving my circumstances. And so as long as I remain, I will continue to work after, to, to pursue whatever glorifies, honors, exalts, make much, makes much of Jesus Christ. That's our passage. That's why Paul will continue to rejoice. That's how he can rejoice. He knows I'm going to rejoice even if they execute me because I will have the opportunity to exalt Jesus Christ while they drop that sword. One day Paul will have that honor. That's his hope. That's his great fear of shrinking away from that. And that's the personal ramifications, how that works out in his little situation. Now, there's personal ramifications from this passage for us, for you and me, too. And it starts right here. Paul is a guy who could honestly, who honestly got to the point where he could fill in that blank on the screen this way, for me to live is Christ. Everything else we read and studied is really just a result of Paul getting there. Once I got to the point where for me, Christ is life, to live is Christ, then the rest of that stuff sort of falls into place. So if you're just going to be like super gut level honest with yourself this morning, how would you fill in that blank? And it can change because we're fickle, you and me. For me, to live is the most important thing in my life is just if you're honest. Because what we put in that blank in a lot of ways will control our lives. We will protect it at all costs. We will live to protect it. And what will feel like death to us is when that is either threatened or lost, whatever we put in there. Let's say, we'll use some examples. Let's say if you're really honest, the thing that drives me, the, 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 the most important thing in my life is, is making money, business success. What will feel like death is either losing money, not having enough money, seeing someone else make money that I think I could make, that feels like death. I can't handle it. I've got to protect it. That's why people start doing 
things to make more money that are damaging in other areas of their lives, that are immoral, that are illegal. Why? Because for me to live is making money, and I have to protect that. If you live young people, if you live for athletic achievement, what will feel like death? Losing. Someone else getting the accolades you want. Someone else not noticing what you've done. That will feel like death for you. I haven't made you uncomfortable yet. Let's try this one. There's a, there's a Christian-y sounding one, a really good sounding one that's really sneaky. And this is the most common one I hear because people will actually tell me this one. The most important thing in my life is family. For me to live is family. Well, Pastor Matt, what could be wrong with that? I'm glad you asked. Whatever human being I put on that line in that blank, I probably will damage both them and me, but for sure one or the other. I love my wife. She's a wonderful person. You should meet her. But if for me to, if I live for Rachel, one of a few things is going to happen. First, I'm going to crush her under the expectations I've placed on her to make my life about her. If I live for that other significant someone in your life, maybe you haven't even met him or her yet. I live to be introduced to that person, to have that person. Once I put that person on that line, they are responsible for the well-being of my life. They can't carry that. They can't hold that. And I will crush her under the weight of my expectations. I've made her responsible for my well-being, which isn't fair. Then, if she gets a little suffocated, or if she has other things she needs to do, or if, let's just say, she decides to live for Christ, and Christ has other things that he wants her to do as she goes and does those other things, you know what that will feel like to me? Death. Because the one I've made my entire life doesn't reciprocate that. And honestly, she shouldn't. Where this should work is she should be encouraging me to put Christ in that blank. And I should be encouraging her to put Christ in her blank. And we should be pursuing Christ together. pretty easy to put our kids in that blank. For me, the most important thing to to me in my life is my kids. You'll damage your kids and disappoint yourself. Here's how you'll damage your kids. Whatever you put in that blank, you will protect at all costs. The most important thing to me in my entire life is my kids. I want to do everything to protect them from any kind of harm, any kind of, and I'll react and I will help keep any pain away from them, right? 
We're not encouraging our kids to pursue Jesus Christ when they are the most important thing in our lives. You know what we're encouraging them to pursue? Them. Of course I live for my happiness, whatever feels good. I can't take any kind of pain or discomfort or anything else. I just run from any of that. You know why? Because you did. Dad. That's how we train extremely selfish people, and we don't need any help being selfish. We do just fine on our own. And we damage ourselves when we put our kids in that blank. Because when they don't turn out the way we actually wanted, it turns out they're selfish. And so they, they grow up and have the audacity to move out of our house. <laughs> right? Um, you know what that feels like? Death. It's hard enough as it is. We can put the esteem of other people on that line. For me, to live is being impressive to other people. For me, to live is being liked by other people, being included by other people. We will just become slaves to the opinions of others, and we will do whatever it takes to look good in their eyes. It will damage us. It will let us down. I want to encourage you to live for Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's the pastory, preachery thing to say. I mean, it sort of is. But that's not why I'm saying it. Because the only way to make the rest of that verse true, for me to live as Christ, what's the rest of it say? For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Folks, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to give away the ending here, but you're going to die. There's only one way that your death becomes gain is if you lived for Christ. I want you to put, I want you to live for Jesus Christ and God help me. I want to live for Jesus Christ better tomorrow than I did yesterday. Right? And more and more and more. Why? Because it's, it's just better. Because there's whatever the world throws at me, if I'm living for exalting Jesus Christ, I always have the opportunity to exalt Christ, whatever I'm going through. When my kids mess up, when I lose, when I have, when my business fails, when I get a diagnosis, when whatever. What I want is to have this confident hope. I want us to live like this, where our confident hope is that we won't be ashamed of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Instead, with complete boldness, even now as always. Paul is chained to a Roman guard as he writes, even now as always. That the driving force in my life would be exalting Jesus Christ. But pastor, you don't know what's going on in my life. You're right, I don't. But I know even now as always. 
can be true. But if I decide what I really hope in is exalting Jesus Christ, it will give me an attainable goal through an impossible situation. It will make death gain. And it will make me a powerful tool in the hands of a sovereign God. For us, may we live for Christ. May we remain and continue as long as we are here until the day when we see our greatest gain. We go to be with him. Let's pray. Father God, um, we are a bunch of self-focused people, but we want to live for Christ. God, uh, for those of us here who don't know you as Savior, this all sounds foreign. I pray you to pursue their hearts to give their life to you as, as Savior. And for those of us who believe in Jesus, God, we want to live for Christ, not because it can get us into heaven. You got us into heaven because you lived faithfully. But we want to pursue you. We want to exalt you. We want to magnify you. It's our created purpose. Make it what we want on a daily basis. That there be nothing more important. There be nothing in our blank besides Jesus Christ. You'd be glorified in us individually, corporately. As spouses, help us to pursue Christ together as, as friends and family. That you might be glorified in us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and finish with us?